Welcome to Spotlight by Play Craig. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! A podcast that shines some light on amazing people in the baseball world. Deja vu all over again, as uh, Yogi Berra would say. Introducing your host and the founder of Play Crate, Josh Ben. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Spotlight, a podcast where we shed some light on people in the baseball and softball community. This could be anyone from players, coaches, entrepreneurs, and anyone who has an interesting story we can learn from. Our guest today is Julie Alexandria. Julie has pretty much done it all from Broadway, daytime TV, talk shows. She was a correspondent on the Wendy Williams show and an MTV VJ covered sporting events like college football for Fox, Big Ten Network, Sports Illustrated. Uh, being a huge sports fan, she's covered events like U.S. Open on ESPN and even reported on Slam Ball, which I, I wanted to mention there because I thought it was really cool. Uh, most of you might know her from her coverage of the Mets, Washington Nationals, and Padres. She's also the founder of Hume, which we're going to get into. I'm sure I'm leaving a ton of stuff out, so I'm glad we get to have a, a full conversation. But uh, Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was that was a really good intro. <laughs> I'm sure I left out so many things in there, but I was like, it was just so, there was so many things. I was like, how do you leave out slam ball? Like, I'm like, slam ball is so unique. Probably like not the highlight of your career by any means, but I thought it was like, if there's any type of range, like slam ball definitely shows it. <laughs> it's it's up there with the Miss USA pageant. Yeah, I didn't even know that you were- Posted that one too. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you- I mean, I want to talk about my first question is actually you do a lot. Can you just tell us how you got started on this track to be a reporter and having your hand in so many things? It was not it was avoiding being poor in New York City, basically. <laughs> so like I moved to New York City when uh, when I was 20 years old and I didn't really have a plan. And I was like, I just want to be an actor. I just want to make it on Broadway. And as a struggling actor, you have to have so many different jobs. And that mentality didn't change even when I started working professionally. So if a job came in, my agent was like, do you want to do this? And I was like, yes, absolutely. So I actually got my career started in esports which was about 10 years before its time. It looked a lot different than it does now. This was before they were selling out Madison Square Garden um, and before Minecraft and Valorant and Overwatch League. This was when we were doing sideline reporting for Halo and Halo Reach and StarCraft II and Call of Duty Black Ops in ballrooms of like the Hilton Anatole in Dallas. <laughs> so I did that for four years and I was doing sideline reporting, interviewing the players and that really got me, got my feet wet. And then from there um, went on to doing some college football coverage and then got to cover my favorite sport, which is baseball, and started with the Mets in 2008 with a sports trivia game show called Beer Money, which then um, put me on the map with the New York fan base. And then SNY, Sportsnet New York, gave me my own show, which was a magazine show, weekly show, interviewing Mets players and management and coaches. And that was so fun. And that kind of sent me on the path of like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I love. I love the baseball season. I love the energy. I love the game. I love the players. I love the sport. And so that led me to the job with the Washington Nationals and then the Padres and currently at La Vida Baseball. Great. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems like, you know, your career just naturally gravitated towards baseball and obviously you love it, but you know, why, why baseball? Why not another sport? What's your history with baseball? It's funny because we are kind of in the same moment and I see so many parallels where we are with this pandemic here in 2020, 2021. 
the whole reason that I got into sports was because of a calamity, if you want to call it that. In 2008, the economic downturn hit New York so hard. And with the subprime mortgage crisis, everybody was losing their jobs. The financial markets were complete toast and entertainment was suffering. I was doing a show on CBS at the time and we knew we were not getting renewed. The show was not coming back. We were all losing our jobs by November of 2008 after August happened. And so I had already shot the pilot for Beer Money. And what I learned in all of this is that sports is recession proof. Sports is pandemic proof, as it was proven in 2020, even with a shortened abbreviated baseball season. But we saw it with basketball. They were able to do it. They were able to come back. We saw it with football. And so even in times of strife, sports will always be there. And that there was a comfort in that. And there was money in that. And there was a career in that. So I made the pivot that we're seeing a lot of people doing now with Zoom calls and everyone going remote and having to adjust. And so the same thing happened in 2008. I had to adjust. I put my dreams aside of doing more Broadway and theater and film and TV. And I was like, well, if the only way for me to be on camera is to do sports, that is my one true love. I'm going to do it. And so I pursued sports completely. And all of the jobs I got for the next five 10 years after that was all within the sports industry from college football. And as you mentioned, slam ball and the U S open major league baseball. Um, so many, so many events and, and live events, big 10 championship college football on Fox. And it just kind of started coming. The jobs just kept coming and, and I kept taking them cause I was a job collector. And so <laughs> I, uh, I, I stuck with it. It's kind of where the career went. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. I mean, and it's true too that, you know, sports are recession proof. People like fandom, people want sports more than ever. I feel like when, when times get hard, but I mean, why do you think, why do you think baseball is just kind of, it keeps overcoming like even 60 game season and like everything's canceled. I feel, you know, like a year ago, people were saying baseball was getting boring. It was dying out all these things, which I never agree with. But I feel the opposite this year. There's so much anticipation for the season. But, you know, why do you think baseball is recession proof? It's a good question. I think, well, first of all, it has survived many recessions and depressions. It's been around for over 130 years. And I think it is true what they say in that, you know, the, the token phrase of it's America's pastime there is something magical about baseball in that it is handed down intergenerationally. There is always someone in your family, whether it be a, a, usually a male figure, whether it be your, or it could be female, you know, but for most people, they remember their dads or their uncles or their mm -hmm. big brothers introducing them and taking them to their first baseball game. And you always remember your first baseball game. You can't always say that with other sports that are mostly seen on TV. I mean, I would imagine that most of the population, if you took the entire United States, has never been to a tennis match on a mm -hmm. professional level, right? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of sports that are very exclusive and baseball is very inclusive, I believe, from a viewer standpoint. Mm -hmm. We'll leave that one right there. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that baseball, I'm just telling it like it is, I think baseball <laughs> is very inclusive in that, first of all, the season is so long. Chances are, if you're just flipping channels, you're gonna run into a game no matter where you live. I don't care if you live in a state that doesn't have a stadium. And the fact that the season is so long, whether you like that or not, um, I personally love it. But uh, 
it has just been so much a part of our culture as Americans that it is ingrained in our culture. We see it in pop culture. It's difficult to get away from. And when you have a game that lasts for six months out of the year, <laughs> you know, it's, you're going to run into it. And I think that's why it has been recession, depression, calamity proof um, for so long. Also because the game keeps evolving and maybe not to the speed that a lot of fans want. I know that the automated strike zone is on a lot of people's lists and, you know, perhaps shortening it from nine innings to seven innings. But, um, you know, I think that it is one of those things that it keeps evolving even at a slower pace, but we're already seeing a new style of play mm -hmm. coming in where, you know, the whole make baseball fun again, and, you know, bat flips are okay and home plate celebrations. And we're just seeing it evolve before our very eyes. And there's something really great about that. I think. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I, when I remember my first game, like I learned baseball from, from my dad and his grandfather. I grew up in the Boston area. So we grew up at Fenway. Like our, our one heirloom isn't like a house or like anything. It's like, we have season tickets to the Red Sox since 1970. And like, that's our family thing. Like, that's just, that's what, that's like our one thing. Um, but yeah, it's just like going to a ballpark, whether, you know, it's, it's part of, it's, it's Americana. You walk in, you have a hot dog and a Coca-Cola and you're like, I feel right at home here. I feel like, like I'm with, with, uh, with people I can enjoy a four hour baseball game with. Um, so that's so true. Um, and like just the, the game enhancing for, I, I always think of it from a player's perspective because I played for a long time and I'm still on like the, you know, we, we manufacture training aids for baseball players always fans and the game is like in terms of talent and how much fun it is to watch and um just like the accessibility of players too with social media and people like you on the sidelines like you're not just on tv anymore you have social media people follow you because you have the inside scoop and they trust you as a reporter to ask questions and act as their voice i guess so i feel like there's a lot more accessibility than there used to be. And I know, you know, Major League Baseball has had problems with that. Trevor Bauer just came out um, basically saying, like, let me market myself. Like, we want, we want to get to know fans. I, it seems like you have an opinion. I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that with, with MLB and marketing? Because you're kind of in the middle of both of them. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will say they criticize MLB for not doing a good job of marketing. Case in point, if Mike Trout walked into a store, even if you're just a casual baseball fan, would you know it was him? A lot of people would argue you wouldn't even recognize him because they say that Major League Baseball does not do a good job of marketing individual players. I think we're seeing that change specifically with Fernando Tatis Jr., but I think his side is doing a really good job about that, you know, getting him a BMW endorsement deal, getting him sort of, you know, all these big deals. And also Francisco Lindor, we're seeing sign great contracts for endorsements, and we've saw it with Bryce Harper. So I think it is evolving, but the league itself has never been big on promoting individual players. Teams, sure, they'll put them on a platform, but I don't think individual players, I mean, if you look back into history, maybe a handful that you would know, but if I showed an average fan today, an average 18 year old, a picture of Mickey Mantle, would he know who he is out of a baseball uniform? Probably not. And his baseball card, I mean, that card just sold for $5.2 million. <laughs> so, I mean, I just, I don't know that they do a great job. 
Um, but Trevor Bauer has a point, you know, and listen, he's a polarizing figure, love him or hate him. I think he's got a point when it comes to players are now able to utilize social media. I think if that is their inclination and they want to use it to their highest degree that they should be able to do so. Um, I, I think what he's done with his momentum platform is great. It give, because at the end of the day, it, the common goal is to keep baseball alive, right? Mm -hmm. It's to keep the next generation interested. And if the next generation has gone digital, well, then you got to follow where the fans are. So yeah. that's why with the whole blackouts, I think MLB has a lot of catching up to do, especially, you know, they've done a good job with social media and Los Mayores and, um, you know, getting the Spanish speaking contingent into it. But I think there is still a lot of work to be done when individual players go for it on social media, I think that's wonderful. But I also think we have to respect those that aren't on social media and don't like the spotlight. And it shouldn't be a mandated league thing where it's like, you have to tweet a certain amount every single day. You know, I think with players, you have so many different personalities to the ones that want to do it and utilize it. Let them have free reign. Let it's freedom of speech. Let them say whatever they want, but it should not be something that is, league mandated i think yeah i mean i definitely use platform and their likeness i think for whatever like, i understand the rules change when you sign a, a 460 million dollar contract and it's a different amount of money it's a different it's it's a different um you know contract that you're signing where uh you know maybe like i'd, I'd make some concessions if, if a team's paying me that much but Overall, I just think it's it's short sighted. I think, you know, Trevor Bauer at the very least just starts a really good conversation of, you know, if you want baseball to succeed, um, you're trying to develop deeper relationships with fans. And to your point, if, if, if people are walking into a store and they don't know Mike Trout, it's like Mike Trout is one of the best baseball players that's ever stepped foot on a field. And the fact that not only a baseball fan, but a normal person wouldn't recognize someone of that talent. Um, is like a major missed opportunity, I think, from MLB standpoint. But then again, th that's just my opinion. <laughs> I'm sure they don't really care that much. Um, but you know, what I've noticed from the kind of the research that I've done before this interview about you is, you know, you, you know, you're clearly so, um, you know, deep in baseball culture. But not just from a reporter standpoint, but I feel like you just really understand the game. I was listening to one of your post game interviews, and I was like, those are really like those are really insightful strategic questions that, you know, someone might not pick up on if they were just kind of like a fair weather fan, but me playing baseball is like, like I didn't play baseball for 20 years, but how did you get these insights um, into the actual game of baseball as, as a game, not just as, you know, talking about marketing or, or very surface level things. I feel like your interviews were always really great. Thank you. I'm interested to know which one you watched, <laughs> but I'm glad you liked it. Um, you know, I think, I was introduced to baseball at a young age. I played softball, um, you know, little league. Uh, I was always really into it, inclined in it. My dad was a huge Brooklyn Dodger fan. My parents were huge 1986 Mets fans. They were the parents that had the VHS tape and they would watch it on a rainy day because they moved to California and they missed New York and they missed Mets baseball games. Cause at the time you didn't have MLB.tv. You didn't have the app. You didn't have <laughs> the ability to watch games out of network. And so um, they watched a lot of Dodger games. I grew up listening to Vince Scully's voice 
over the radio. And that to me is synonymous with summer. So to me, that was always a big part of my family and growing up. And I do remember my first baseball stadium experience was at Dodger Stadium because at that point I was, I guess, eight, eight or nine years old. It's the first time I went to a baseball game. But, you know, I think my dad was a huge influence in that he would always talk baseball to me and we would just discuss it. I think also sitting right there in the photo well and watching so many games, you're just so into it. And I always keep score. That is something that in the beginning was something that I did just to stay awake because I was so exhausted. And sometimes, listen, when you're working for a team that is having a tough go at it, games can get real sluggish, especially (laughs) in the dog days of summer and you're sitting there and it's hot and you're just trying to stay focused and keep your head in the game. And the best way for me to do that was to keep score. And so keeping score to me was the best asset to then conducting a poignant interview was to be able to go back and reference. So when young journalist students ask me like, you know, what are some of your tips and tricks? And I'd say always keep score because then you basically have a game log, you know, that you can look back on. And because uh, listen, from the first inning to the ninth, or if you go into extras, there's a lot that happened and you can forget easily. And one inning runs into the other. So again, dog days of summer, they'll, they'll do a a doozy on your mind, but uh, having (laughs) that score sheet and being able to look back and, and then ask questions, you know, pointedly, um, and in a concise manner, because at the end of the day, the fans don't want to hear from you. They want to hear from the player. So I think that was also one of my points was to let the player talk. That's mm-hmm. that's truly who you want to hear from. Yeah, I mean, that's so great. Uh, keeping scores like a lost art. And it's it's I'm sure you like I used to keep, you know, you, you keep the book. It, it was kind of like a chore growing up. But now they have Game Changer. It's completely different. But that is how you learn those like really weird, intricate details and rules of the of, of baseball that like no one's ever going to teach you until it comes up in like a, a, a score sheet um and and then also just looking back on all your score books make sure they're like nice and neat i'm sure like i don't know you're probably like the same way like me i'm like everything needs to be nice and neat some people would scribble and i'm like make a neat book please um but what a great way to learn the game and like it's definitely a lost art i think my dad taught me how to keep score at a red sox game same thing and I was like, how do you score this? And he would tell me the rule behind it. And, and that's why we score it that way. And I never really like thought of it <laughs> until you just said that. And, and uh, I don't know, maybe there needs to be some type of better way to, to teach kids to keep score other than game changer. Um, but I like to kind of shift um, the direction like a tiny bit. You know, you talked a little bit about, you know, giving the players the opportunity to hear things from their side of the view. And, you know, obviously, you know, you learned that from somewhere. So reporting's your craft that's your art and acting and and being on camera so i want to talk a little bit you're obviously a super driven person you have like a million jobs so i don't know how you keep track of everything but you know how do you how do you keep improving at your craft of of reporting or acting because i don't know which one you see yourself as more because i think you you started as an actor and you're still doing acting Um, But you're also, you kind of like went off a little bit into this reporting. So I'd love to hear, you know, how do you keep improving on reporting and what do you think are kind of just the best lessons you've learned from reporting? It's funny because people will often ask me, where did you get your journalism degree from? And the honest answer is I don't have one. Um, I never went to journalism school. 
I sort of fell into this industry, if you will, but my background is in acting. I did go to school for acting. And when you're researching a role, it is on you as the actor to truly find out what does this character want? What does this character need? What makes this character tick? And I kind of use that same philosophy when it came to interviewing a subject, whether it be an athlete or a diplomat or a movie star on the red carpet, whoever it was. And it, you know, what goes into that is research, taking notes, and also figuring out their perspective. How does that character or that person see the world? And then approach it from there. The other thing I took into consideration as a sideline reporter, on-field reporter, was I am here as the conduit to the fans. What would the fan want to know? If I was sitting here watching this game on TV, and that's my perspective, forget that I'm in the photo well, you know, taking notes and keeping score. What does the fan want to know as they're watching the exact same action on the field that I'm watching? And I would come from there. And I would, that's sort of the perspective that I would always approach the game and approach the players. And I think it was only enhanced by social media because then I got to actually interact with the fans. And oftentimes, believe it or not, they'll let you know what they want to hear without you having to ask them. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I, I utilize social media, um, you know, for the most part, uh, the fans for all three teams that I worked for, the Mets, the Nationals, and the Padres were wonderful, um, especially the Mets fans. They, they will always have a special place in my heart. But um, that's sort of, I, I believe that, I hope that answers your question as far as sort of my perspective and how to approach and as far as how to evolve, how I evolve, I think the most important thing that a reporter can do is stay educated, to stay well-read, and to stay on top of the news, especially now with this 24-hour news cycle that we have mm -hmm. between sports and politics and, and everything else. And with Twitter going you know, 24-7, I think staying on top of all of that and understanding what external factors can affect that person that game that day is truly integral to creating the best interview possible. It's tough. I remember I, I once, um, I had not looked at the college football standings. And this was a big mistake that I had once made. I did not look at the college football standings in game. I didn't check my phone um, during the game. By the end of the game, I was interviewing um, the head coach at K-State, and I hadn't realized that with that win, they were now in the number one spot. Mm -hmm. I should have asked him about that. <laughs> and I didn't because at the, t at the beginning of the game, they were nowhere near that. But during the course of the game, a few other teams had lost, pushing them up. And that was a huge missed opportunity. And that was a big learning experience for me. It was also early on in my uh, college football career. And after that, I said, okay, I got to be checking my phone <laughs> during games, even though I'm trying to, you know, pay attention to what's happening on the field. But that is a perfect example of knowing what's happening in the world and also understanding in this little microcosm that you are a part of in the moment. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, usually I ask this question at the end because I feel like I learned the most about someone from it, but you kind of touched on it and you said that was, that was a failure that you learned from. So 
um, you know, and all these, I, you know, we're in, I'm having an interview with you because you're successful at what you've done. You're, you're, you, you're good at your craft. You're, um, you know, you've had success. That's why like, it, this is going to be a fun interview where we can all learn from, but I think people can also learn a lot from, from learning about people's failures because they see all the success you have. They see on TV, they don't hear these kind of backstories. So, um, you know, what was your most important failure or maybe the failure that you learned from the most? Hmm. You know, one of the biggest regrets I have is not sticking with one specific job longer. Hmm. When it came to the Mets, in the case of the Mets, I worked with the team in Sportsnet New York for three seasons, 2008, 2009, 2010. And then I was pulled away to be a VJ on MTV, which was sort of a bright and shiny job that I was up for. It was a nine month casting process. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of prestige with taking that on because all of a sudden I was Carson Daly. I was hosting live at five and I was there at 1515 Broadway overlooking Times Square interviewing Bruno Mars, Justin Bieber, Rihanna, remember this is 2010 they were yeah. <laughs> the biggest thing um and and you know lady gaga and uh so so many celebrities the show only lasted six months nine nine months it lasted less than a year because at mtv they you know change everything and you know if something's not working or not getting ratings they go down to ground zero again and they you know start back up so the show got canceled and I was basically left without a job or an opportunity for the next nine months after that, because it was just bad timing with the fact that I had given up the Mets, I had gone to MTV and then that ended and it was too late to go back to the Mets. They had already hired someone else because I had moved on. And I wish that I would have stayed within baseball. I wish I would have stayed there because it was a really great opportunity. I saw this big shiny job at MTV and I left for that and it wasn't necessarily a bigger, better platform. I realized that it probably would have been better, more conducive to my career, sticking with one thing instead of trying to get a bunch of little things. Um, and then in the case of working with the Washington Nationals, I had signed a one-year contract and by August, they were already talking about a contract extension. But I had shot a pilot right before then, that January of 2013, for another entertainment show that shot in New York in Times Square, very similar to MTV. Um, and then I found out mid-season that they were going to network and that they were going to be on CBS. And so I decided to leave the Washington Nationals, unfortunately. And again, I, I kind of regret the decision. It was an amazing job. I was the anchor and it was wonderful. And I was hosting basically my dream job in New York City for two years. But after two years, it got canceled. <laughs> and so, because that is that is the way of entertainment shows, you know, so it's summer hit, summer miss. But as we mentioned before in this podcast, baseball is forever. And I should have stayed within that. I think thinking back on it now, I mean, who knows? The Washington Nationals just got rid of their sideline reporter. So I don't know if that job would even still be around. But, um, you know, I wish, I kind of wish I would have stayed. Uh, but I was always really interested in, in entertainment and interviewing celebrities as well as athletes. So I wanted to be diverse. And I went with the big opportunity 
and the shiny, bright opportunity. And it was great. Um, but then at the end of the day, I ended up coming back to baseball and I came back to the Padres. So, you know, <laughs> go figure. Uh, but baseball has always been a constant in my life. It's kind of like, it's like the boyfriend who always takes you back. So Yeah. <laughs> and like, to your credit, you, you never knew what was going to happen with MTV. I mean, Carson Daly, like, that's what I picture me growing up, like sitting on, you know, watching Carson Daly on, on TV and like watching music videos. And I'm like, that's a huge opportunity. So obviously hindsight's 2020 and totally. baseball, baseball's always there for you. <laughs> and I was young. I was in my twenties. I wasn't that far removed from mm. coming back in high school and college and watching Carson Daly. So like, that was also very fresh in my soul of like understanding how that whole thing worked and being like, Oh my God, one day I want to be there on MTV. <laughs> I actually my but this is really embarrassing. My goal when I was in high school was I wanted to be on the real world. I wanted to be like <laughs> a cast member of the real world. And now knowing what I know about like reality TV, I'm like, yeah. that would be a nightmare. Yeah, you're like- That was before social media though, thank goodness. But I think about it now and I'm like, of course, I was in my twenties. I was offered a full-time job making an ungodly amount of money at, for me at the time. And working on MTV and having, you know, wearing designer clothes and interviewing Rihanna every day at 5 p.m. I mean, it was like, I couldn't say no. I couldn't, it was an offer I couldn't refuse to quote one of my favorite movies. Yeah. So at the end of the day, though, <laughs> baseball would have been the nice guy that I should have stayed with. <laughs> <laughs> it's always there. Don't worry. Um, but, it, you know, you're, you keep going, right? So there's, there, you're back to baseball. You had all these amazing experiences and, you know, through the whole way you've been acting and you've been, you know, improving your craft of interviewing and reporting. And now you're a founder of a company, right? So Hume, can you tell us a little bit about Hume? Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, this has been about two and a half years in the making. Um, I've always been very conscious about what I put on my body, what I put in my body as far as chemicals and uh, preservatives and things within food or vitamins probiotics that are not necessarily great for the human organism. So my husband and I developed an all natural deodorant. And mm -hmm. this was something I've been an early adopter of natural deodorant. If you think about it, your lymph nodes are right around your armpits and your skin is your largest organ. So whatever you put on there, slather on there, you better read the ingredients because all of that goes directly into your bloodstream and then subsequently directly onto your lymph nodes, which is where a lot of cancer is found. And a lot of the ingredients within antiperspirants lead directly to cancer. The preservatives, the aluminum, um, the parabens, the phthalates, all horrible things for your body. So we were like, how do we make a natural deodorant that actually works and doesn't smell like patchouli or like you know, a spice rack or an herb garden, which is what was basically on the market. And so, I also love really good fragrance. And I think I learned this from baseball players, actually. You know, baseball players are some of the best smelling athletes after <laughs> showers, after post game. Yeah. Let me tell you, when you are in the clubhouse, nothing smells better than a clubhouse when it's open to media after mm. the guy's shower. Because any one of those 25 guys is wearing like the highest end, most expensive cologne you could ever imagine. Cause like they're about to go out. Right. Or they're about to go back to their families and they want to smell good. Yeah. So you walk in there and you're just like, Whoa. And you know, the players that smell good and the ones that don't. And so I was like, <laughs> how do we get 
a high-end smelling cologne fragrance mm-hmm. or perfume fragrance into an all-natural deodorant. And so we developed it. It's called Hume Supernatural. You can find it. We're about to launch on Amazon, but you can go to the website, which is humesupernatural.com. Mm-hmm. It is an incredible product. It's for both men and women. Right now we have a fragrance free if cologne and perfume and fragrance is not your thing. And we also have a fragrance. Um, we're launching a second fragrance um, next month. So we are going to start fragrance wardrobing where there'll be lots of different options. Um, but it's an incredible product. It's been a wonderful learning experience, developing a product and bringing it to market. Um, we're also found in health food stores, Molly Stones, Plum Market in the Midwest, Molly Stones in Northern California and a few health markets down here in San Diego and Southern California. Um, but it's been, it's been truly wonderful. And I feel like I'm doing a good thing for the community in that I'm bringing a product that is healthy for you. If you have allergies, if you're a woman and you're pregnant, um, it's, it's good for all humans. As we say, Hume stands for you, me, and all humans. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was going to ask you what, what that was. There's like an old philosopher, David Hume. I was like, I don't think they went that far. Until yeah, I- no, we, we are aware of that connotation, yeah. but um, no, we were trying to think of names and, and one of our, one of our co-founders came up with that one and we were like, yeah, it stands for you, me and all humans. We're a very inclusive brand. Um, I, I kind of moonlight as the creative director and I mm. do all of, I, help out with social media for it as well and um, sales support. So it's, we run this out of our house. It's, mm-hmm. it's just us and, and two other founders and um, we, that's what we do, but it's, it's a great, it's truly a wonderful alternative. If you're using old spice or if you're using any of those things, turn, turn the bottle around and just look at those awful chemicals, which are going directly into your body and, and think about it. Um, it's a deodorant. It's not an antiperspirant. It's not going to stop you from sweating. But then again, your body's natural way of getting rid of toxins is to sweat. Mm-hmm. So that is a natural part. You just don't want to stink when you sweat. <laughs> and that is because it's bacteria and that's what makes it smell. So there's probiotics within our product that neutralize odor. So think about that next time you. Smell, I cannot you know? wait to try it. I did not know the conversation was going to lead this way. And I, <laughs> I did like a belly laugh when you said patchouli, because I'm like, I have deodorant where I ran out and it's like my, like, it's like my laundry day, like, like pair of pants, pretty much. I'm like, I'm out of deodorant. I need to put something on. And I'm like, I smell like an, like an old, like farmer. Like, I don't even know. It's just like a crazy smell. I'm like, why is this such a for me and, and she's very very body conscious and very healthy and all organic and all these different things and uh i'm in like the second someone says natural deodorant i'm like i'm like no it smells like this like i'm not even gonna name the brand but i'm like it's i'm like i don't want to smell like that and i cannot wait to try out hume honestly and i'm gonna i'll get i'll get her some too um yeah you'll never you never think about that i mean some people you think about it. <laughs> I, I don't really think about it. So um, congratulations on all that. It's like, it's such a great idea. And I'm excited to, to smell like a major leaguer because I don't, you're in different types of locker rooms than I was in. I mean, the, the ball players I was around, they did not, they weren't getting ready for post-game interviews. They, <laughs> they were nothing. They're like, where's our post-game, you know, like cheeseburger. We gotta, we gotta get the bus to the next place. Um, but how do you think, um, you know, how do you think your reporting and your, your career as a, an, an actress and honing your craft has, has made you a better founder? Oh, 
gosh. Um, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I think to me, when I approach influencers, um, when I approach brand ambassadors, you know, we are looking at athletes to send the product to. So we do have a lot of athlete ambassadors. We have Nora Vesconsuelos, who's a professional skateboarder. She's signed by Adidas. And we have a couple of professional surfers who are on the WSL tour right now and looking at um, some prospective uh, professional snowboarders and mostly athletes in the action sports uh, category. And so, yeah, I mean, I think having that background earns you some legitimacy when you're talking to these prospective athletes to be like, look, I understand how much you sweat. I understand the rigors of the road. I understand not wanting to smell bad, but I also understand that your body is your product. When you're an athlete, your body is your world and you are, your game is only as good as your body is healthy. And it is so important. I think now more than ever, ever athletes are more in tune with their bodies. They are more aware of what they're putting in their bodies. I mean, gone are the days of, as you mentioned, the cheeseburger. I think yeah. a lot of guys, uh, unless you're a, a defensive lineman, you're probably not eating a cheeseburger. <laughs> um, a lot of these guys are, are putting a lot of effort into keeping themselves healthy for longevity's you know sake and also for their very health and i think making a small change like this can prove you know dividends down the line if you make a change like this early on so mm -hmm. it is important Awesome. Um, well, I have a few rapid fire questions and then we can pretty much wrap it up. And again, I'll hand over the mic and we're going to link to Hume and we're going to link to La Vida Baseball, which you're a big part of, um, and just kind of everything. So if people, you know, want to get in touch with you, they just know exactly how and where to find you. And I mean, I, I haven't tried Hume yet, but I'm just going to put it on the record I am super excited. I like, I don't know why I'm so excited about deodorant, but like I'm pumped. I'm like going to order it right after we get off this. Um, but uh, yeah, so for a couple of rapid fire, I always preface it with answer as long as you want. Like, you don't just because they're quick questions doesn't mean you have to have quick answers. Um, and the first one, um, you know, if, if, if you could give your 16 year old self advice, what would what would you say to her? Trust in yourself hmm. and your abilities. Yeah, trust in yourself and your abilities. Um, because I think, you know, we all have certain levels of insecurities. And I think as an actor, as someone who puts themselves out there on stage, on screen, on TV, whatever it may be, um, has a certain amount of self-doubt. I, I think anyone does, right? And I think that that was something that I always battled. And I think um, trusting in my abilities to move forth uh, within my craft is something that I wish I just would have had that extra push. Yeah. And you, do you feel like you've had that, you have that now, or do you think there was a, a point in your career where it switched or was it more gradual? When did, when did you learn that? I think it's, it's always a constant state of learning that. I think we all have those detractors, that imposter syndrome that we suffer from on varying degrees. And a lot of that comes with um, big responsibility. So whether it's that 
you book a huge contract or whether it's that you're going to be hosting a huge live event on national TV and millions of people are going to be tuning in, you know, you just automatically get that. I can make that correlation with being a new parent, you know, with like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Why am I here? What I, who gave me this responsibility? Because <laughs> I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to take care of a tiny human. I mean, that was something that I battled for the first year of my kid's life where I was like, there's no handbook. There's no rules. There's no, how do we not go to college for this? How is there not like a class in the, I mean, I guess maybe there is, I don't know. Uh, but I certainly didn't read anything. Um, <laughs> before being a parent and, and I don't have any friends with kids because like I was never really that into kids in the beginning mm -hmm. uh, and so I was like oh my gosh it just took me for a loop but uh, yeah I think I think having confidence in myself and trusting in my ability to come through in those big opportunity spots is something that I wish I could whisper in my 16 year old ear <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's great. Um, yeah, I feel like Google's like my best friend with, you know, what we talked about before I have an eight month old and I'm like, just Google everything, please. And I just like, like, I, I'm just like constantly relying on uh, my fiance, but I'm like, yeah, they like gave us the baby. Like you can go home now. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, do I need to like, do, do us, do I need a certification? Is there like anything that I need? And they're like, go take care of the baby. And I'm like, uh, all right. And How? so far, so but how do, yeah, how? What, I don't how? In, in high school, they, they taught us trigonometry, but they, they forgot to teach us how to use credit cards and raise babies. So and, just, and how to, yeah, well, and how to do your taxes, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we, we should just have another podcast just about how to change the curriculum and educate people on on what they're putting in their bodies in, in deodorant. Um, <laughs> the next one is, uh, you know, what's something you've changed your mind on in the past year? gosh, Ch like change my mind on in my Just career. in general, like I think, you know, if you want me to give you like a little bit more context, um, you know, I think there, there's sometimes where I'm so dogmatic about the way that I do something in business mm -hmm. or in, in my personal life. And then I'll read something or I'll, I'll, I'll listen to an interview or I'll meet someone. I'll be like, I was wrong, like flat out wrong. And I'll change my mind on it. Mm. Um, you know. Yeah, I think liking liking babies. <laughs> I never liked kids. Mm -hmm. Like I, I would see my, I mean, like I said, I don't really have a lot of friends with kids, but like, because a lot of my friends are single or they, you know, don't want kids. Because <laughs> like once yeah. you become a mom or a dad, like you kind of disappear. Like I was living in New mm -hmm. York City and because living in New York City is very expensive. And so when my friends would go off and get married, they would often leave the city never to be heard from again. And especially if they had kids, never to be heard from again. And I never, this sounds terrible, but I'll, I'll admit to it. I never took the initiative to go check on them and to go visit them. It was like, if you weren't living in Manhattan, I don't do borough. <laughs> That's an East Coast reference. Only your New York fans will get. But like, if you move to the suburbs of New Jersey, good luck. See you never. Now becoming a parent, 
I am so empathetic. I'm so sympathetic to all of those things. I went on this like apology tour where mm -hmm. I picked up the phone and I actually called all of those friends that I had lost touch with. And I said, I'm so sorry for not being there for you. I had no idea how crazy it is to have a kid, especially in the first year, which is just bananas, especially if you don't have help. And I'm living out here on the West Coast. Um, I don't have family near me. So like, that was really a difficult adjustment. And it's an adjustment, especially if you are like a New York party kid, and all of a sudden, you now have a kid. It is a 180 from everything you're used to. And I am so empathetic to that. And so I literally called them up. I sent them care packages. I was like, I don't even know how old your kid is, but here's a blanket. And I just like <laughs> felt so bad for disappearing on them when they may have needed me most. And that is something that I realized this year. It took me this long. Um, But I realized, wow, you know what? They probably could have done with some support, some checking in, maybe a toy at Christmas. I don't know. But uh, I, am, I am now the better auntie to my friends' uh, kids, some of whom I've never met because of the pandemic. But um, yeah, I think changing my opinion on having babies and knowing <laughs> what it's like to be a new parent because it's a doozy. Yeah. And Manhattan's like a different animal. Like I'll, I have still have so many friends. Cause like I said, um, you know, I'm in the Boston area. Um, but you know, we, we were living in Boston. I was like, we'll put off kids like as long as possible. I have a business. My, my fiance has a business. Like we're like, we, we want to travel and go see stuff and all that. And then we're like pregnant and like, okay, things just changed. Um, and like, you have no choice, but to lean in and it's so much fun. It's, it's definitely, it, it's different, but it's, 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 it's still, um, you can still do all the things you want to do. It just kind of changes the timeline a little. So I completely understand where you're coming from. We were in Manhattan. We would go down to New York city, you know, probably once a month to see friends or, or, uh, she's a photographer, do, do photo shoot. Like people you're either like in Manhattan and you're like, like, or like Oh, it, I hit a certain age, whoever I'm with, I'm going to get married. We're going to move to the suburbs. We're going to start a family. I'm going to, you know, take my finance job from Manhattan and, and go to like a suburban office. Um, but I totally get it. That's a good thing to change your mind on, honestly. Like, <laughs> that's a pretty good one. Um, if, if, uh, if you had a billboard to reach uh, billions of people, just tons and tons of people, and you couldn't put anything commercial on that billboard, um, what message would you want to get out to billions of people? What message? Um, use Hume deodorant. <laughs> can't be commercial that's the one time oh, it I'll, can't be commercial can't be oh commercial. you're putting all these provisos um it can't be commercial um you know what i would like it to be i will say one of my favorite quotes and something that i think is so relevant to where we are today as a society is be kind to one another because you never know what battle someone's fighting that day and i think we are seeing a lot of this in the mental health space. We have all been knocked down a peg during, I, I think, you know, as a generalization, um, during this pandemic, during this whole stay at home order, work from home, you know, depending on how closely you adhered to that and how much it affected your life and your livelihood. I think so many people um, suffer in silence and I'm a huge mental health advocate, I think. Um, 
people need to talk about those things. And, and it's been a really tough time for a lot of people. And although you may not see what someone is going through on the surface, on the outside, there are a lot of people battling every single day. And especially, you know, take into account our generation, we're called the sandwich generation. We, a lot of us have young kids, but we're also caring for older parents. And there's a lot in that. And we're also having to have our own careers. And a lot of us are battling debt and college loans and trying to find a job and trying to find how we fit into this new world the way it is and having to make some really tough choices. And that's just for others. That's not even talking about what's going on with us. So I think as a whole, a lot of people are fighting a lot of battles that we may not see. So just be kind to one another. The world can use a little more kindness right now. I couldn't agree more. I mean, be kind. Uh, thank you so much for having this conversation, Julie. Um, I learned a ton. This was like, honestly, kind of unexpected because I I just, it, it went a lot deeper than I thought. And I learned so much from you. So thank you so much. Um, I'm really excited to try Hume. I'm going to follow up with you and, and tell you, uh, when I become a raving fan over this deodorant. Um, but thank you so much. And I want to, you know, just hand over the mic. Where can people find you? Where can people get involved? And uh, and definitely give us the, the website again for, for Hume. Yeah, so the Hume Supernatural website is just humesupernatural.com. We will be launching next month on Amazon, so you'll be able to find us there. But you can always go to our website. We're always giving promotions, so we're doing 20% off, or we're doing a free shipping, or um, you know, all sorts of stuff. So we um, we're always doing that. You can follow us on Instagram at Hume Supernatural as well. And then for myself, you can follow me at Julie Alexandria on Twitter which is where I put a lot of my sports updates and news. And then you can follow me if you want to see pictures of my life at the beach and my kid hitting uh, just bombs, just hitting <laughs> straight ropes um, off the tee. That uh, would be Julie Alexandria 00 on Instagram. And we do a daily show, uh, a weekly show on lavidabaseball.com, La Vida Baseball baseballlife.com. And on La Vida Baseball, we have a new initiative called the Year of 21, which all focuses around Roberto Clemente, the man, the myth, the mm -hmm. legend, and really focusing less on who he was, but more of his impact on today's players and celebrities. So we launched that just yesterday, actually. And because this is 2021, we thought, what a perfect time, 50th anniversary, 21. It just all kind of mm -hmm. goes together. Yeah uh, him be, have him wearing number 21. So you can check that out the year of 21 on La Vida baseball. And we're live every Monday. It's myself, Jennifer Mercedes, who is another wonderful, um, correspondent for major league baseball. And then Ozzie Guillen jr. Who mm -hmm. always has some wonderful opinions, strongly worded opinions. Um, uh, we love to have him as well. So it's the three of us. We host for a half hour every Monday and Wednesday, where we talk about MLB hot topics, trending topics, news, and just overall basic discussions. Um, this week we're talking NFTs and baseball. So some non-fungible tokens in baseball. Talking about buying a highlight. Why not? Um, so yeah, you can check all of that out. And then I'm julialexandria.com. If you want to reach out to me, I always, I answer every email. I answer every DM. So if you have any questions, you can DM me. 
Awesome. Julie, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spotlight by Play Crane. And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, take care.